All right, we are in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to talk about Cain and Abel, one of those famous stories out of Genesis. Uh, it's a really dark story, and I, I think about this story, and I, I think about poor Eve, don't you? My goodness, my goodness. All right, so now, so we, we're piecing the story of Genesis together, which will dovetail into the human story here shortly. Uh, it just shows us so much about life and the dynamics of life and all the things we have to face. Uh, so we're piecing it together. We, we got the creation story in, in Genesis 1. We got uh, the Eden story in Genesis 2. We got, what's in Genesis 3? We got the fall, right? The fall. And then they got Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. All right, so Genesis 3, backing up just a little bit, uh, it was a failure on the part of Adam and Eve to be all that God intended them to be. God had high plans and high hopes, and they blew it, but God made a promise uh, to redeem them. That, that's a, an amazing thing. You find it? Good deal. Uh, but because of their decision to rebel against God, they were exiled from paradise, and exile kind of becomes one of, one of them themes. Thank you, sir. Kind of becomes one of them themes throughout Scripture. Uh, and they were forbidden to partake of the tree of life anymore. So they were, they were cut off in, the, in their close relationship with God. God was still going to relate to them. But it's going to be different, isn't it? It's going to be different. And they're, they're cut off from the tree of life. And uh, things have changed drastically. And the consequences, remember, this is going to play a part in, in our lesson tonight. The consequences for Eve, remember, she's going to have toil and grief in bringing children into the world. Uh, and as I said before, just think about Eve and all the, the, the tragedy that's going to take place. She doesn't lose one son, she loses two sons. In this tragedy that's going to happen. And uh, this, this judgment that is a consequence of their sin is going to play out. Eve is going to taste a very bitter pill, no doubt. And for Adam, his, his judgment was toil in his work. He's going to be sweating, thorns, thistles. The ground's going to fight against you. It's going to be tough. All right, so those were some of the consequences. Now remember this as we, we're building because 315 is really important. Genesis 315. This is the prophecy. And now this is the, the first mention of the gospel in the scripture. And the interesting thing is that the first time the gospel was proclaimed, it was proclaimed to the serpent. God is speaking directly to the serpent. And he says this, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right. All right, so now this is a little graph, graph, graphic I put together here just to maybe help you understand that verse. God's speaking and he's saying there's two kinds of people in the world. There's going to be people that are in the, of the seed of the woman. There's going to be people that are of the seed of the serpent. All right? One's the righteous line and one's the unrighteous line. The seed of the woman are going to be the people that choose to follow God. And the seed of the serpent are going to be those that choose to rebel. And our choices are going to make a big difference on what team we're on, for sure. So now, what I'm saying, this lays the foundation, Genesis 3.15, of the entire story of the, of the Scriptures. It lays the foundation. It, you're going to begin to see this hostility between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. It's going, it's going to happen right here in Genesis chapter 4. All right, it's going to start immediately. So the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent are going to be at war, right? There's going to be hatred and hostility between the two of them. And in the middle of this war, the snake crusher is going to come. That's what we call it. The snake crusher is going to come and he will destroy the serpent. It's, the idea is he will bruise or crush his head. But at the same time, the serpent is going to strike his heel. So he'll be wounded in this battle. But he will overcome 
the serpent. Now, as we play out the story, we know that that happened at the cross with Jesus. All right. So now, any questions about that? Because that's kind of real important that you kind of get your head around that that idea. We've got, got these two lineages of people, two lines of people. And it's going to be predicated upon their choice, whether they're going to follow God or not. And they're going to be either the seed of the serpent or the seed of the woman. All right. All right. So now, so now in Genesis 4, this is life east of Eden. And I use that phrase, life east of Eden, because when God drove them out of the garden in Genesis chapter 3, he drove them out, and it says he drove them out of the east side, and he put up uh, the cherubim with the flaming sword there at the east gate of Eden. Okay? So now we're we're expelled from the garden, and we're going to get a taste of what life is like now after the fall. And this first little picture of life after the fall is not a pretty one at all. All right. Life after the fall, sin affects everything, absolutely everything. It affects relationships. It affects people's behavior. It affects, you know, people's internal stuff. It affects their decisions. It affects their worship. It affects everything. Sin is always a factor from here on. All right. Until Jesus does away with it at the end. That's where the book of Revelation ends. When Jesus does away with all that, sin is a major factor in all of our lives. We know that. God's mercy and grace are always going to be present. May not be accessed, but God will always be there. We're going to see God step right in the middle of this story, right in the middle of it, before the the chips drop, before it gets really bad. And salvation is always going to be offered by God. So now, while sin's a, a big player, you're also going to see mercy and grace. Now, this is not just in this story, but in all stories. God is going to be present, and he's going to be trying to work salvation on people's behalf, all right? So this is important. All right, so let's, let's get some new text. Genesis 4, what did I say, verse 1 through 4? Is that what's written on the first part? Yes. All right. Genesis 4, we're going to have the first murder of human history right here. And see the heading right there, Cain murders Abel. That's not good, is it? He did use Abel, Now Adam and Eve, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their Fat. All right, let's stop it right there because we'll pick up the, the second part of that in just a momento. So, so we, you got a picture here. You see what's, what's happening, right? Eve has a son and she says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. It's kind of a play on words with Cain's name and all that in the Hebrew. And you think about the miracle of birth that a woman gets to be a co-creator with God. You think about that. I mean, that, that's an amazing privilege that women have. And no matter what they say today, men can't do that. You know, no matter what they say. And, and it kind of seems like that she's saying that. Now, interesting comparison, if we were to read on down the chapter, she says right here, the first, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And she puts herself first. I have acquired a man like I did this and God was here. But by the time Seth is born, at the end of the chapter, she puts God first. For God has given me a son. There's a little something going on with Eve right here, it seems like, in the original language of what it, what it portrays. 
Now, was Cain the first human with a belly button? See, Adam and Eve didn't have belly buttons. <laughs> it's, 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 it's deep theology, you know what I'm saying? You got to think about it, you know? Was Cain the first human with a belly button? You know, it's always kind of been understood that Cain was the first human born. Uh, but that may not necessarily be the case. We don't know. But we do know this. Cain was the first son born outside of Eden. We do know that much. Okay. And the reason I say that is, is you know, God, God told Eve that you're going to have trouble with childbirth. You're going to have it now. Almost implying that there was a time in her life where she didn't have trouble with it. I'm, I'm just it's speculation. I don't know. We don't know. It's very, very possible. Um, Cain was the first son born outside of Eden. And, and the reason I know that, see, Cain and Abel and Seth were not the only kids that Adam and Eve had. If you look at the genealogy in chapter 5, it says that Adam and Eve, Adam lived to be 930 years old, and it says he had sons and daughters. Now, you think about how many kids you could have after 930 years. Yeah, that'd be a big Christmas list, wouldn't it? For sure. So Cain's born, and then Abel's born. Now, we get a little bit of information about him. Abel is, what's his profession? He's a shepherd. He's a keeper of the sheep. He's a shepherd. And Cain, it says he's a tiller of the ground. So what's a tiller of the ground? That's a farmer. He's a farmer. So these are respectable professions. Now, they're going to come into worship. Now, Cain and Abel are men at this point. Now, they're not young boys coming. All the inference is that they're very capable and responsible for who they are. They are men at this point, and they both come to give a worship offering or maybe a Thanksgiving offering or something like that to God, all right? Now, where did they learn to do this? Where did they learn to worship God like this? This is the first mention of this kind of worship right here. I wonder where they learned it. I mean, mom and dad may have told them a little bit of something. God may have told them a little bit of something. I don't know. And where do they offer these sacrifices? Where do they offer these sacrifices? Hmm. Well, they built an altar somewhere, it seems. They built an altar. And Noah's going to be a guy that builds altars. Abraham's going to be, he's, he's known as the guy who builds altars. He builds altars everywhere he goes. So this altar building kind of takes on right here early in the story. Uh, where do they offer these sacrifices? Well, where is, is it believed God's presence to be? It's, it's in Eden right there. And it's like, when, when he says something about the door, it's almost like they didn't travel very far from that gate where Eden was. And it's very, very possible that just like the picture of the tabernacle and the temple and all that, it's very, very possible they made those sacrifices right there at the gate of Eden. It's very, very possible. Because guess what? If you ever have experienced Eden and you get kicked out, guess what your next move is? Get as close as you can be and do whatever you can do to get back in. But we got a little problem with that flaming sword. We, we can't get in there. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? All right. So now, now, this is a puzzling story. Have you ever had questions about this whole story? <laughs> so they, they're going to make a worship offering to God. Cain is going to bring some fruit of the ground. He's going to bring some of his produce. We're not sure. He had a few taters in there and maybe, maybe some wheat and maybe some other things. I'm not sure what they were growing those days. Maybe a carrot or two in there. Uh, he, he brought some fruit of the ground with him. All right. Abel brings the firstborn, we get more detail about Abel, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Now that's a Bible way to say that Abel brought the best lamb that he had. Okay. 
And it's long been kind of speculated that the reason it says that about Abel, Abel brought the best that he had. And the implication is, is that Cain just kind of throws some stuff in the basket and brought it. You know, that kind of thing. That's the, that's the, that's what it's implying. It, it says Abel brought his best, Cain brought some stuff. See what I'm talking about? It's like folks at church donating to the churchyard sale. Lord, we're going to sell that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just brought some stuff. <laughs> I don't know if y'all ever done that before. but uh, Now, some folks have said that they believe that one was received because it was a blood sacrifice and one was not received because it was of the fruit of the ground. That can't be the case because produce later grains and all that kind of stuff will be brought to the temple and given as sacrifices to God. So those are acceptable sacrifices. Lambs, obviously, are acceptable sacrifices. So what's going on right here? All right, so let's pick up some more text here. So they make these sacrifices. Actually, Cain goes first. It's like Cain had the idea, is the way it's portrayed in Scripture. Cain said, I'm going to make a sacrifice. Abel's like, oh, okay, I think I will too. That's what it kind of seems to be. The second part of verse number four, so... And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Hmm, Is that where we stopped in verse 5? Yeah. So, what in the world? So God speaks up. Somehow or another they knew. Maybe maybe God just is, is very present because... God and Cain actually have a conversation in just a moment. So God must be very, very present. Even in this state of sin they're in and all this kind of thing, they're outside of Eden. God's very, very present here. God respected Abel. In other words, he received Abel's sacrifice. Well, how did they know when God received a sacrifice in like the tabernacle and temple at times? Like when Solomon made his sacrifice, how did he know God received it? Well, God sent down a fire. Remember that fire? He just brought down a fire. Maybe that's what happened here. It was, it was very obvious whatever happened. It's very obvious that God received this one and God rejected Cain's offering. God said, no, 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 no. Hmm. Why? Talk to, talk to me just for a second. Why? Why do you think that happened? It wasn't the best that he had. It wasn't the best? Maybe his heart wasn't right. Maybe his heart wasn't right. That's all good. That's all good. So now, let me ask you, is God rejecting Cain or is God rejecting Cain's offering? His offering. But how does Cain take it? Very personal. Very personal. Now, this this bears the question. And we could bring it into modern day worship as well. Does God have standards for our worship? Is, is, Is God kind of particular about what we bring to him? You know, there's a passage in Exodus that says nobody's to appear before God empty. You are always to bring something to God. Now, we're not bringing lambs and goats and, and barley and wheat. We're not bringing all that kind of stuff nowadays. But what, what are we bringing to God today? Well, the Scripture says a sacrifice of praise. That we're, the fruit of our lips, that we're bringing that to God. And God seems to be kind of particular and have standards for our worship and what He receives. Well, you know how it is. You don't just take any old thing either, do you? If somebody's nice to you, you want their heart to be in it. If somebody gives you something, you don't want it to be from the standpoint of manipulation or so that they feel good about themselves or you know what I'm saying. We, got, we all got standards in that area. 
So Cain's rejected. His sacrifice is rejected. His response is that he was very angry. In the Hebrew, it meant that he got burning hot, is what that word says. He got hot. He flared up. I mean, it, he, got, he got enraged. So, and it says his countenance fell. You ever seen somebody do that? I mean, it's like, what, what is it? It's like, like these base, baseball boys I coach sometimes. Something happens and that countenance just goes, right? That's what's happening with Cain. So he's feeling disappointed and rejected. That's his response. All right, let's pick up some more text. We'll piece some things together here in just a moment. So God's going to come to Cain. He's going he's to have a conversation with him. He sees him upset. He sees him mad. He's spitting fire, boy. His head's down. So the Lord speaks to Cain. Why are you angry? Isn't that some kind of question to ask somebody fire hot mad? Yeah, I don't recommend you try it, guys. It's not good. But God steps right in. He says, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, uh uh-oh, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So God has this interesting conversation with this man. So he comes to Cain. A second, a second time we see this, God coming. When, when's the first time we saw God coming? Just, I mean, there's a mess that's happened and God just comes. When do we just see that? When Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? When they ate of the tree, God just shows up and he says, God had some questions. He, he asked a lot of questions. Where are you? It's the first time. Now, he steps into Cain's life and he says, look, Cain, you need to listen to me. There's some dynamics happening here you have no idea about. God's going to teach him some stuff. And God extends salvation to Cain. Do you see that? God extends mercy and grace. This man is hot as fire. And God tries to appease him, tries to give him some wisdom. So he, God asks three questions and he gives a, 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 some instruction. Why are you so mad? Why are you hanging your head, son? What's going on? If you do... Well, if you do the right thing, you will be accepted. So what does that imply? Coming out of God's lips right there. What does that imply? He did something wrong. He did something wrong. There, there's something really wrong with this situation on Cain's side. If you do well. So the implication is something ain't right about all this. Son, something just ain't right. All right. Now, who was Cain mad at? What's Abel got to do with anything? He made him look bad, didn't he? A little jealousy made him look bad. Now, now, see, this is the thing. And he's the eldest, eldest brother. So he's, you know, already got this ego thing going on. And now God bless his little brother and not him. Has that ever happened in our families too? God blesses one and one doesn't quite get it yet and and they get mad at you for getting blessed. That's kind of what's happening. He's mad at Abel, but who else is he probably mad at? God, he feels like he's being mistreated, doesn't he? Now, given that little talk that God just gave a little speech to him, who should Cain have been mad at? 
He should have been disappointed in himself, huh? But usually when we do wrong, guess who is the last person that we get around to of being upset with? Uh, it's this one did it, this I did it because this did it, and they did it, and they did it to me, and it's happened over here, and, it, and, and you, you're way down here on the list. Mm-hmm. So now, why did God reject Cain's offering? We've got to get some other scriptures kind of coming in here. We get a little bit of a clue in Hebrews 11, verse 4, and then Abel's actually mentioned in Hebrews 12, but we won't be able to cover that tonight. Listen to this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Hmm. So how did Abel offer his sacrifice? What's the first two words of that verse? He offered it by faith. Now we could confer on Cain. Cain did not, somehow or another, Cain did not offer this by faith. Somehow. I'm not even sure if we understand what all that means, but the worshiper and God know what it means. When it's done right and it's done in faith. You see, God not only sees what we give, that's important, whether it be our, our finances or whether it be our time, our effort, our worship, our song, our, you know, our lifting of the hand, whatever it is we do. God not only sees what we give, but he sees the heart of the worshiper. This ought to scare all of us half to death just about. Because God not only sees you doing the church thing, he sees right through you, into you, and sees what's really going on. That's what happens to Cain. You know, I, I, I got to flip over to John four twenty three. John four twenty three. Jesus is going to talk about how particular God is and what He's looking for. Remember, this is that, that conversation about the or with the woman at the well. And Jesus speaks and says, "But the hour is coming." Whole long conversation. It's right in the middle of it. But the hour is coming, and now is. When the true worshipers, so if there's true worshipers, guess what there must be? Mm -hmm. They will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God's looking for this. He's been looking for this ever since Cain and Abel. He's looking for people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now that would be a, that's a lifelong quest for you to find out what He means by spirit and truth. What do you think he means? I mean, it's Jesus talking. What does it mean to worship the Father, worship God in spirit and in truth? What do you think? Honest, open. That's good. Honest, open, heartfelt, sincere, true. Spirit and truth. Not hypocritical. Now, all of us got things we're dealing with and character flaws and stuff like that we're dealing with. So it's not being perfect, but it's just being sincere and honest and open. He knows. But see, isn't it interesting that God's looking for this kind of worship? He's looking for it. And, and if he could hover over Mosley Bridge and see that, he'll come camp out with us. You know what I'm talking about? 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Hmm. It kind of ties in with what we're talking about. With what's going on here? All right, so, so God instructs Cain. Now, this instruction is very important for all of us. Turns out Cain's not going to heed to this, but I hope we do. Verse 7, if you do not do well. So, so why, why are you so mad, son? I mean, I, I can hear my dad saying that. I mean, I got so mad one time. I mean, I got mad as a hornet. Daddy just said I couldn't do something, and I, I was bound to determine I was going to do it. And I, we were outside. We were doing something with the vehicles or something. And we had a, a garage, and it was outlined in brick. And I was just mad as a hornet. I mean, I was so mad. I mean, I, I know what Cain feels like. I got so mad. I walked up to that brick wall, and I'd rear back, and just, and you could just hear the meat hit that brick wall. That's how stupid I was. That's how mad I was. <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, just mad. And, and my daddy looked at me, and he said, you dummy. He said, well, hit it again. Hit it again. I can't even open up my hand. I mean, it's like this. I mean, it's just, I mean, for like an hour, it was just locked like that. And, and you know, I, 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 can, I can just hear my dad say, if you just did the right thing, I wouldn't even be on your back, man. If you just did the right thing. If you just, if you just came in when you were supposed to or did this and just, just did, I don't even ask that much. If you just did the right thing, you wouldn't have no trouble. But if you don't, God's got some instruction here. If you don't do the right thing, if you don't do well, there's another player that you can't see that's involved in this thing. And this player is... It's called sin. And sin is like personified right here. Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So now sin is pictured as this wild animal that's ready to strike. Kind of fits in with what Peter says back that, that the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking, searching whom he may devour. Right? So now... If you've got it in your heart to do the wrong thing, you are given invitation to a beast that will eat your lunch. It will devour you. I, I've had that reality happen in my life, to be honest with you. Hmm. So he's instructing him about sin. That, that there's something happening here. You, there's a dynamic you don't have any clue about right now. So this sin crouching at the door is... It's like it, it's sin lies. The Hebrew word literally is it's, it's ready to pounce. It's crouched down. You ever seen the, those wild cats and stuff? And they they kind of cock themselves and rear back and get ready to launch. That's that's what it's saying. Sin is it's looking for that opportunity where you open up your world and your life to it. And when you do, it comes roaring in, crouching at the door. Now, do you know your crouching sins? I'm sure you know a couple of them. And sin's desire is to have you, to have you, to like to take over your life. It just, it's not just wanting to give you a good time. It's not just wanting to give you a good feel good. It, it literally coming to give you a taste of something that when you taste it, you're addicted immediately, whatever that might be. Take you over. Didn't Jesus say something to Peter about that? It's kind of a similar idea that Satan has desired to have you and sift you like wheat. Isn't that what he said? But I have prayed for you is what Jesus said. 
Jesus gives us a clue about our adversary too. He says, this thief that's coming your way, he, he, he's got three objectives. He's going to steal everything you got. He wants to kill you and destroy your life for now and eternity. That's his MO. That's who's crouching at his door. Our doors too. But God gives him some hope. He gives us some hope. He says, but you can choose to master it. You can make a choice right now, Cain. Listen, you don't have to go the way of this temptation where this anger is taken. You don't have to go. You can choose to master it. Make a choice now, son. Stop it right in his tracks. Mm-hmm. And I could go scripture after scripture. It talks about resist the enemy. Give no place to the devil. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. All of these things. that we're, We are not to be prey We're not to be a victim to our adversary. Now, we all have fallen prey to him, but we need to learn our lessons. And Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to empower us and help us. All right, so now, let's wrap it up with just reading. That's some pretty heavy-duty counsel, isn't it? Verse 8, Genesis 4, 8. So what's Cain going to do? Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass. So it's not the same day. He's, he's been stewing on this a while now. When they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. It's just awful. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Adam, where are you? Okay, where's Abel? You know. And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, really, what's the answer to that? You should be. Am I my brother's keeper? You know, you, you think about people say that kind of stuff. I've been in conversation with people and say, I don't know where he's at. Am I my brother's keeper? I always say, ho, ho, ho. The last guy who said that killed somebody. <laughs> ho, ho. Don't, don't put that in there. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's going to be said of Jesus that, that his blood speaks better things than that of Abel. See, Abel's blood cries out for justice. Jesus' blood offers forgiveness. Big difference. Isn't that something about blood crying out? Hmm. I think about that. I think it still does to God today. Somebody's unjustly murdered or killed or something happens like that. And I think it's still, God still hears things. And justice will be served. Verse 11. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face. So he said, I mean, think about that. I mean, he's a farmer. And 
you know, then Kroger's not out yet. You know, there ain't no Kroger's and Walmarts. So what's this mean for Cain? So you see the progression where sin's taking this family now. What's happening here? Sin takes them out of paradise. Now they're living east of Eden. Now Cain kills his brother. And now he's going to be driven away from even that. And Cain knows that one of the things that, that, that hurts him is that I'm, I'm going to be hidden from your face. He just had a conversation with God. It's going to be the last one. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. This is interesting. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Hmm. I wonder what that mark was. I mean, we, we don't know. Speculation. Maybe he gave him blue hair or something. What do you think? I mean, it was something obvious. And it could have just been like a spiritual thing. God just put something on him and everybody just kind of parted the waters for Cain. They just left him alone. You know. Then Cain went from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. That's a land of wandering on the east of Eden. He went even further out. Because, you know, you do something like this, it just ain't no getting back, is it? Just no getting back. Mm. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Now, that's not the Enoch that walked with God. It's another Enoch. Okay. And he built a of his son, Enoch. Okay. Now, the story's going to continue, but we've got to stop right there. It's a tragic story. What in the world is this story doing right here in the... See, this is what life is like with sin. Relationships don't go good. Sin messes up everything. Now, it's a reality right here. What we're going to see with this, what, what you're going to see, we're going to down spiral real quickly. All the way to chapter 6. I mean, I'm just talking about like two more chapters. Now, chapter 5 is a genealogy. And then chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, guess what that is? That's the flood of Noah. And you know what? Violence is going to cover the entire earth. And God is going to judge it severely. Isn't that something? Now, ask you a question. Is Cain of the snake people seed of the serpent? Or is he the seed of the woman? How did he get to be... Now, how did he start? Now, how did he start? Now, he, he, he's, he's actually the seed of the woman. He's the seed of Eve. But how did he get to become a part of the snake people and get in alliance with the snake? How did he do that? Choices. choices. It's the choices he made. So what we're going to see throughout the story, that it's not just about bloodline. This is not a bloodline story in the Bible. Now, God is going to choose one bloodline. He's going to use it to be a blessing to the entire world. But this is not about bloodline. This is about choices that people make to follow God or to rebel. Because what you're going to see, even the people that have been chosen, you're going to see some of them follow the serpent and some of them follow God. We're going to see all that. So it becomes a story about choices. And what Cain preaches to us in a very dark way, be careful. 
your sins will find you out. Be careful. And that crouching thing, that that's kind of makes you do that. Go your back like, my God. I, I, yeah, I've had some encounters with him. I ain't, uh-uh. Questions, comments before we go? This is life after Eden now. This is our world. Lord have mercy. This this is Memphis. <laughs> For real. I mean, they, they've been in the news all last week. This is insane. My family's on lockdown right now. I mean, they're scared, slammed to death. One family member, the cops that were trying to chase the guy drove, eight, eight squad cars drove right by her when she's trying to get home. She was scared to death. That guy was shooting up the town. Yeah, it's happening all over the place. I mean, it's not just there. I mean, violence. I mean, this, this thing's happening in Demopolis and all this crazy stuff. I mean, who even knows what's going on up there? It's close. What, what's happening? Well, what, what have we opened the door to? What, what did God tell us? What, what did we open the door to? And what did it do? What, what does it do? Whether it's in your life or my life. I tell you what, I've I made some decisions that I thought would be just simple little easy things, feel good things, and next thing I know, my life was upside down. Yeah. We good. Questions before we go? Y'all got any questions? I, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff, Pat. We didn't even cover the, the half of it, to be honest with you. Who did Cain marry? Hmm, that was a famous question that was given at the Scopes Monkey Trial way back in Tennessee years ago that really got, got atheism. Y'all ain't never heard of that before? The Scopes Monkey Trial is what it was called. I, I forgot why. It, it had to do something with the illustration that one of the lawyers brought. But it, it, was a, it, was a, it was basically putting Christianity on trial. You look it up. It's a historical thing that happened. It happened in Hendon, Tennessee or something like that. I can't remember. Hendersonville or something like that. It's, but uh, Scopes Monkey Trial, that was one of the, the questions that stumped the preacher. Who, who did Cain marry? Who did he marry? Uh, well, it's either his sister or his niece or a distant cousin. Because, I, I mean, who knows how, how many kids Adam and Eve had, you know. Um, but it had to be, there was somebody out there in the land of Nod that lived out there. Abraham married his sister and half-sisters. It's not uncommon people in eastern countries to do some of that kind of stuff nowadays. You know, I'm not recommending it. Dear God. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we told Nick and Hannah they better be careful because Nick's mama is a Covington, and, and Hannah's name is Covington. <laughs> so y'all, y'all either better check this out or get this going, one or the other. <laughs> anyway, but who did he marry? He, he, he had to marry, it had to be a, a, a child of Eve or one of the children of Eve's children. You know, and think, cause think about it, if, if, if a girl starts having babies at 16, 15, 16, 17 years old, which is what would happen back then, uh, it wouldn't take long to have a clan. See what I'm talking about? And two, now, this is speculation. Now, I'm not saying this is the way it is. 
But what if even Adam and Eve had kids in Eden before and they sent them out? That's that's a speculation. Yeah, uh, it, it 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 can't be because when he saw her, I can guarantee you what happened after that. Never mind. But that's, <laughs> I can 100% guarantee you. The way he responds, he wrote a poem. You know what that means. <laughs> but I, I mean, this is mixed company. This is mixed company, but but they they were bringing it up. But uh, anyway. Y'all can't get too real. <laughs> yeah, it does say that, and he knew his wife, but it, it that not necessarily the first time he knew her. I'm tr- pretty sure about that. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it, hey, Genesis answers a lot of questions, but it, it raises a lot of questions that we 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 speculate about. You know. So, anybody else before we go? She said, don't tell him, don't ask him. All right, let's pray. All right, Father, thank you so much. Uh, Lord, thank you for your counsel that we saw in Genesis 4 because it not only was the canis to us too. Lord, help us. Help us. We, we play with fire and think we won't get burned. Uh, help us to know, Lord, you, you've said very plainly for us to resist evil said it very plainly because you know exactly what's on the other side of it. So help us. Help us, Jesus, to live a holy life, to do what you say, and to be of that line of people that are going to look for your coming and your return, the seed of the woman. Thank you, Lord. Help us. Keep us strong. Forgive us where we failed. In Jesus' name, amen.